I want you to come with me, please, this morning. The Old Testament to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. I'll let you find that place in your Bible. Then we'll read together. You can follow with me. So, 1 Kings chapter 19. Excuse me, let me just... Reading from verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also... If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose, ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die, and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Aren't you glad sometimes that God doesn't answer all your prayers? <laughs> then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. And so he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And so he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord of God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. There is a legend that the devil had an auction to sell off all of his tools. And after all the prospective buyers gathered, and had a look, they noticed that there was one uh, particularly odd-shaped tool. And it had a label on it, not for sale. And so they queried this and asked him, why? And he said, well, I can do without all my other tools except this one. He said, I cannot do without this one. He said, this is the most useful implement that I've got. It is called discouragement. And with this tool, he said, I can get into men's hearts. And when I get into a heart, then I can plant there whatever I desire. Many saints of God, including some of the most celebrated, have felt and experienced firsthand the draining effects of discouragement. It saps your spiritual strength, dims your vision, 
dulls the voice of God, leaves you feeling frustrated, confused, condemned, and utterly pessimistic about your future. Discouragement, oftentimes, is no rationale. It can happen at the most unlikely times. Whenever things are on the up, would you wouldn't expect it. Elijah is the classic example of someone in the depths of discouragement after having experienced his greatest victory. Now here is a man of God, a true prophet, a man who has seen the miraculous hand of God time and time again in his ministry. He has literally just witnessed an incredible display of God's power, fire coming down out of heaven. He has personally killed the prophets of Baal with the sword. Tremendous victory demonstrated to the whole nation that Jehovah God was the only true God and that he was greater than the Baals that the men worshipped. And yet here he is at the absolute apex of his life and ministry. This is the zenith. And suddenly, here he is in the depths of discouragement. Ahab and Jezebel had not repented. He felt that all his work and all his energy doing the will of God had just been a complete waste of time. Nothing seemingly had changed. In spite of showing the nation that God was the true God, yet in spite of all of that, Ahab and Jezebel are still Baal worshippers. It's still business as usual. In fact, it's even worse than that because Jezebel now has grown even bolder than before and is threatening to kill him. And so off he goes, like a fugitive on the run. His great faith is dissolved. Fear has gripped his heart. Discouragement covers him like a blanket. And he runs to Beersheba. Now, Beersheba, geographically, physically, and above all, spiritually, is about as far away as possible that he could get from where he was supposed to be. So, sitting under a broom tree, he begs God to take away his life. It is enough, he said. I've had enough. I can take no more of this. So just please, God, take my life. Sad, isn't it? To see someone who loves God, someone who knows God, someone who has experienced the mighty working power of God, and yet here he is, dejected, discouraged, even depressed, and no longer wants even to live another day of his life. The Bible says that Job cursed the day of his birth. And Jeremiah 20 says that Jeremiah too cursed the day he was born. <laughs> David says in Psalm 42, My tears have been my food day and night, while men say unto me, Where is your God? So that's a pretty grim Negative picture, isn't it? 
Then suddenly, in the midst of all of that, in verse 5, it says that Elijah was touched by an angel. That's the title of this message this morning, Touched by an Angel. I want you to notice that the angel didn't berate him for his lack of faith. The angel didn't say, you're a coward, you're a failure, God is displeased, and he's very disappointed in you. The angel could have said, look at you, after all that God has done for you. You don't remember how he fed you miraculously with the ravens, gave you flesh to eat in the morning and the evening at the brook Kareth? You don't remember how that God supernaturally supplied you through the widow woman? I mean, it's only just hours ago since God actually brought fire down from heaven and vindicated you and showed you before all men that you were a true prophet in Israel. He could have said all of that, but he didn't. Instead of berating Elijah, God blessed him. Instead of chastising him, God comforted him. Instead of punishing him, he provided for him. He could have been angry with him, but instead he drew alongside him. Aren't you glad that the Bible says that mercy triumphs over judgment? <laughs> Thank God it does. Psalmist says that God doesn't deal with, with us according to our sins. Bible says he remembers our frame that we are but dust. Suddenly, an angel touched him. If ever anybody needed a touch from heaven, it's this man right now. And perhaps you today, or perhaps in the future, need a touch from God. You need a touch of an angel. I don't mean a literal angel, although that could happen. But you need the touch of an angel. What a touch this was. What a comforting, reassuring, strengthening touch this was. So that's what I want to talk to you about this morning for a little while. What kind of touch was this angel's touch? First of all, it was a practical touch. Did you notice that twice, verse 5, verse 8, that twice the angel gave him food and water? Couldn't be any more practical than that. See, quite apart from how this man was feeling spiritually, the fact of it was he was physically bone weary, exhausted. I mean, this man had traveled hot foot over a hundred miles. He's exhausted physically. He needed sleep and he needed sustenance, and God knew that. He was physically and emotionally drained. He was running on empty. The tank was no longer full. And he had no more fight left in him. 
Discouragement thrives when the conditions are right. You see, we are body, we are spirit, and we are soul. And whenever you are physically weary, and whenever you are emotionally drained, there's no question it's easy for your spirit to get discouraged. How many times have you visited someone in hospital, a saint of God, and maybe in conversation they have admitted to you, you know, since I've been here, I, I can hardly even pray. I don't even feel like praying. My Bible's sitting there, and I, I, I can't even read it. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe you've been in the hospital, and that's how you felt. It's not because you're unspiritual. It's just because that physically your body is weary. That your soul is emotionally drained. Therefore your spirit becomes greatly discouraged. But God is a practical God. You remember how that Jesus went with Jairus his little daughter was dying. And by the time they got there, the little girl had died. And how that Jesus put all the, the wailers and the weepers out of the house. And he said to the little girl, Talitha kumai, little girl, I say unto you, arise. And she opened her little eyes. She came back to life. Remember the first thing Jesus said after that? Give her something to eat. Couldn't get any more practical than that, could you? Everybody was excited and thrilled. No doubt they were rejoicing and dancing. No doubt the little girl was thrilled and delighted. He says, give her something to eat. Perhaps it had been days, maybe even weeks, since that little girl had eaten a bite. Maybe she couldn't keep anything down, for all we know. But God knows. And in the midst of a glorious miracle, some great spiritual happening, the Lord says, give her something to eat. Hey, let's be practical here. She needs some food. I've raised her from the dead, but she needs food. Because her wee body has been weary and it's been sick and it's been tired. Now she needs to eat. Remember the man of Gadara, the demonized man? And how that Jesus went there, cast those devils out of him? And then it says the man was found sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. Sitting, his spirit is at peace. The man who had been running wild in the cemeteries, in among the tombs, but now his spirit is at peace. He's no longer tormented. And now he's in his right mind. The soulish part of him is calm, no longer distracted, no longer thinking those terrible thoughts that absolutely tormented him night and day. 
and physically. He's clothed. He's no longer walking about naked among the graves. See how practical God is? Get some clothes for him. To Elijah needed sleep and he needed sustenance. And sometimes we are looking for a spiritual answer to a practical problem. Sometimes we need to make some adjustments in our, in our lifestyle or what we're doing. And we're looking for some great spiritual answer. And sometimes it's a practical thing we need to do to make the difference, to make the change. Joshua, he's in the valley. He's fighting the enemy. Moses is up the mountain. He's holding up his two hands. And as long as Moses holds up his hands, the battle goes Joshua's way. He becomes weary. He becomes tired. His hands begin to go down. And the battle goes against Joshua. And he puts his hands up again. And the battle's for Joshua. He's weary and he's tired. This goes on all day. Hard to hold your hands up long, isn't it? Something spiritual is happening down in the valley. Something practical is happening up at the mountaintop. And the practical part is failing. And when the practical part is failing, the spiritual part's failing. So what happens? Aaron and her comes along and says, You sit in that big rock. We'll stand either side of you and we'll hold up your hands. So all you've got to do, just sit down, just take it easy. Be very practical. Just sit there. We'll hold up your hands. You don't have to do a thing. And as long as he sat, and as long as they held up his hands, the battle went Joshua's way. So sometimes we're looking for a spiritual answer to a practical problem. Sometimes it's the other way around, but in the context of what I'm talking about today, sometimes that's what it is. Maybe we just need a little bit more rest. Sometimes people have to change their diet. What they're eating is having a adverse effect. They're getting physically low. When they're physically low, they don't feel as spiritually up to it. Sometimes we blame the devil on something that's just a simple, simple practical thing. And so the angel touched him in a, in a practical way. Gave him some food. Gave him some water. Did it twice. Because the journey, he said, is too great for you. There's a journey to go on. You're going to need your strength for it. And the angel touched him in a personal way. God sent to Elijah an angel personally. When Peter was in prison, God sent an angel to Peter Personally, when Jesus was facing the tempter in the wilderness, the Bible says that God sent the angels to minister personally to him. He had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Afterwards, he was hungry. And God sent his angels 
to minister to him, it says. Remember in Luke chapter 22, how that Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying, and as it were, great sweat, great drops of blood. Such was the intensity of the battle in prayer. His three closest friends and disciples were sitting over there a little bit asleep. Couldn't watch with them one hour. It says that in the midst of all of this, that God sent an angel to strengthen him. I wonder what took place. I wonder how he did that. The Bible doesn't draw a veil over that, so we don't know. But I wonder how he did that. I wonder how he strengthened him. Did he encourage him? Did he talk to him? Did he say that all heaven is behind you? That all heaven is watching? I wonder what he did. I wonder what he said. But whatever he did, whatever he said, it strengthened Jesus. I'm not saying that God will necessarily send a literal angel to you. But he may send you help in the form of a person. He may send you a help personally. He, he, you know, he could have spoken to Elijah out of heaven. He could have made just the water and the food just to appear. I mean, he's God, he can do anything. But he sent an angel personally to him. Have you ever been, quote unquote, touched by an angel? Have you ever had somebody personally come alongside you and strengthen your hands? and encourage you, and hold up your arms? That ever happened to you? Well, that's God's way of touching you by an angel. Do you ever visit somebody in hospital, or in prison, or an old people's home? Do you ever phone somebody up, write them a letter, pay them a little unexpected visit, just to encourage them. Now for that person, that is, God touched them personally. And they need that. And they're so encouraged when that happens. They're so encouraged. It's not too hard, you know, really, when you think about it. It's not that difficult to touch somebody like an angel. Is it? Not that difficult. Sometimes it's just the little things that makes the big difference. Just a little food, a little water. Just a phone call, just a little visit. Maybe a little letter. Maybe going out your way a little bit. It doesn't take an awful lot sometimes just to touch somebody and encourage them and strengthen them. Just a few years ago, I was, I think I said this to our home group there a while back, but I was over with Johnny and Tessa. They were getting married. And one of the evenings, I, I just happened to be one of the nights that I was, I was on my own. I was in the hotel and 
decided I would go down and, and into the restaurant, uh, have a meal. And uh, it was quite early, I was quite hungry. And so I went just after six, and there was hardly anybody in there. In fact, the only two people in the restaurant that I could see was me and another man who was sitting about three tables away from me. That was all, because it was early. <clears throat> so I ordered my meal. He ordered his. And uh, we were waiting, just sitting there, minding our own business. And then he picked up his mobile phone, and he decided he would phone a friend. And because... The restaurant was empty. There was no chitter-chatter going on because there was only two or three tables away. I could hear the whole conversation. And it was fairly quickly into the conversation I realized that he was a born-again believer with the way he was saying, the comments he was making, the things, the way we talk. And it was obvious the person he was talking to was a believer. And then, very quickly, uh, I, because I could hear, it transpired that his wife had left him. And he was very upset about that, as you would be. And he seemed to be uh, somebody who was a, like a traveller. He was out of town for sure. He said, look, I'm in South Bend, Indiana, and I'm here for a couple of days, and then I move on. So I could hear all this conversation. And uh, that probably lasted maybe 20 minutes till his meeting came. And it was in depth, and I got a blow-by-blow -blow account and how he felt and what she did and all the rest of it. So you're sitting there, earywigging, listening to all this going on, and uh, trying not to be nosy, trying to ignore him, but he, was, he didn't care anyway. He was, he was in the throes of it. And so uh, after then, the meals came and, and the conversation stopped, and we had our meals, and I'm sitting there thinking of all this and think, well, what do you do? He's a brother in the Lord, and I'm a brother in Christ. Do you get involved? Do you say anything, or do you keep out of it? You know, what do you do? And so I thought for a while, I thought, well, I'll, I'll say something. And so uh, I, when I got his attention a moment, he looked my way. I said, excuse me. I says, I hope you don't mind me asking. I says, are you a believer? Just trying to pick up on conversation. Are you a believer? He said, yeah, I am. Yeah. And uh, he says, come on, come on over. He says, come on, come on. He was desperate for a conversation. And I thought, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. So I went over and he began to talk a little bit about his difficulty. And, uh, and I says, well, actually, I overheard your conversation. And I says, uh, I just want to just talk with you. I says, um, you know, and before he even said who I was, and this is the truth, he looked at me intently, not smiling, so he wasn't saying this is a joke. He, he just stopped and he says, are you an angel? <laughs> well, with my boyish good looks and, <laughs> and my impressive, overwhelming charm and my lovely Irish accent, <laughs> what else would he think? <laughs> so I says, no, although my wife tells me that often. <laughs> no, I didn't say that either. I said, no, I'm a pastor uh, from Ireland. And, and but he was serious at that moment. It showed you how desperate he was too, how hurting he was, how much he'd been crying on to God for help, and that's why he'd phoned his friend. That for that moment he thought, God, you've answered my prayer. You sent an angel to me. <laughs> but in a sense, if you get my meaning, 
quote on quote, he was touched by an angel. You get a little bit of comfort and encouragement and prayer along the way. And those are the types of things that God does. He, he loves to touch us uh, personally. You remember in, in Mark chapter 14 how that Jesus was in the house of Simon the leper. And while he was there, how that woman came on to him with her beautiful, highly expensive, highly perfumed, spiked nard. And she unsealed her alabaster box and she poured it out over him. And how the people in the house were indignant that such a sum should be wasted in this manner. Should it not be given to the poor and sold and given to the poor? And it's interesting that when Jesus rebuked them and answered them, it's interesting, he says, but she has done this for my burial. I doubt if she knew why she did it, other than just out of love. But God had prompted her, because Jesus knew what he was going to be facing very soon. And this was the time of his unpopularity. This was the time when the whole religious establishment, almost to a man, was against him. And the tide had turned against him in the popularity field. And Jesus was a man. He had feelings. I know he was the God-man, but in his humanity, he had feelings. And God wanted to touch him. And so the Father put it in the heart of this woman to go and just touch him like an angel. Just pour out that ointment on him. That filled the whole house. And that's just what he needed. That in the midst of all of that hatred and animosity and againstness, here was one person who just loved him, who just appreciated him, who just wanted to take the very best that she had and just to pour it out all over him. Really touched his heart. Really moved him. None of them understood why she did it. She probably didn't understand but he knew in that moment she did this for my burial. Remember the good Samaritan? How those others who passed by, who shouldn't have passed by, the Levite, the priest, and how that the good Samaritan came and he went over and he had such pity on this man who was beaten to within an inch of his life and how he poured in the oil and the wine. Refreshed him with that drink and then poured the olive oil into his wounds and cleaned him up and put him on his donkey and took him to an inn and paid for his keep and said to the innkeeper, look, I've got to go away in business, but let him stay as long as he wants. Whatever else I owe you when I come back, he says, put it in my account, I'll pay you. I'm sure that man was eternally grateful that somebody, somebody, touched him. Somebody ministered unto him. Have you ever been ministered unto like that? 
somebody touched your life, somebody just at the right moment, at the right time, when you needed it the most, they either came alongside or they called or they phoned or they wrote or they contacted or they did something or a gift or, and it just meant the world to you. Because in that moment you realized, I'm not alone. God cares. And he sent somebody just to that message that I care. And I want to be a blessing. And so the angel touched him in a very practical way and the angel touched him in a very personal way. The angel also finally touched him in a prophetic way. In a prophetic way. Now what, what I mean by that is this. <clears throat> that God sent the angel apart from touching him in a practical way and touching him in that kind of personal way but God sent the angel to touch him in a prophetic way to let him know that he wasn't finished with him that he did have a future, that it wasn't over yet. And sometimes when somebody is in their greatest moment of discouragement and they can't see their future and they can't see the way ahead and they don't know what's out there tomorrow and if they even want to be in tomorrow, that God has a way to come and speak to us in a prophetic way. And it may not actually be speaking, but through somebody's action. This is what happened to Elijah. Through the action of the angel, God was saying, I'm not finished with you. There's still a work for you to do. There's two kings and there's a prophet to be anointed and appointed. Work's not done yet. And until your work is done, until God is finished with us in this earth, there's a future for us. And you can go through a dark period and you can have a black moment where you can't see your future, but it's still there. The cloud may have blotted out the sun, but the sun's still shining. And if you get above the cloud, it's shining as bright as it ever did. And the clouds will part. And you'll see through the gloom. And you'll see there is a future. And there's a hope. Because God's not finished with us yet. And so the angel strengthened him for the journey ahead and there was a journey ahead and there was work to be done and if I could just read on a little bit well just say from well read from verse 5 again then as he lay and slept under a broom tree suddenly an angel touched him said to him arise and eat then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Rise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mount of God. Horeb is Sinai. It's the same mountain. It's in the Sinai mountain range. It's the same mountain. And there he went into a cave. Some commentators wonder and speculate. I wonder, was this the cave on Sinai that Moses had been in? Remember how Moses, when he was in Mount Sinai, how that he asked God to see his glory, and God says, no man can see me and live, but tell you what, I'll put you in a cleft of a rock, or in a cave, and I'll pass by, and you'll only see the hinder parts of me as I pass by. You'll see my glory that way. I wonder, was this the same cave? Spent the night in that place 
Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I don't think that he barked that at him. I'll give you some reasons for that in a moment. I think he was quite gentle with him. Because this man's very fragile at the moment. Ever been fragile? Hmm? Ever feel emotionally, physically, spiritually that you were fragile? This is what he was feeling. So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life as if God didn't know that. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rock in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Now, you remember whenever Moses was on that mountain, spending 40 days with God alone, getting those commandments, how that there were thunderings and lightnings and fire and smoke and the mountain shook. And God spoke judgment from that mountain. But he's not speaking judgment today. He's speaking mercy today. So listen. The Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still small voice. My margin says, a delicate whispering voice. Well, there's times God has to shout at us to get our attention. But in those times when we were fragile and we're hurting and we're discouraged and we're feeling down, sometimes it's a delicate whispering voice. Sometimes it's just gentle with us. He remembers our frame, knows that we are but dust, knows what we can take, what we can't take, when we can take it and when we can't take it. So he spoke to this man in a delicate whispering voice voice. Maybe he would have been expecting the fire and the thunder and the lightnings. Maybe he had been expecting that because he's in Mount Sinai after all. He'd remember the story of Moses. That God was letting him know, I'm not judging you. I'm not here for judgment today. I'm here for mercy. I'm here to encourage. I'm here to lift up. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, for the second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. And also you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi as king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah you shall anoint as prophet in your place. 
It shall be that whoever escapes of the sword of Hazael, Yehu will kill. Whoever escapes of the sword of Yehu, Elisha will kill. I'm going to take care <laughs> of Ahab and Jezebel and all their cohorts. Don't you worry about it. I've got it all under control. Future is secure. Yet, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Things were 7,000 times better than he ever imagined. And whenever you're discouraged, remember, even though you can't see it, things are always better than you imagine. He couldn't imagine things being any worse than they were. But God says, no, they're 7,000 times better than you ever think they are. And that encourages, doesn't it? That encourages us. Aren't you glad that God isn't finished with us? That when the angel of the Lord touches us, finds a way to reach us, minister to us, encourage us, that our vision becomes brighter again, our peace, our joy returns, we get new strength for the journey, and we go ahead and we do the will of God until he calls or till he comes. Amen? And so if you have been discouraged, be encouraged. The Lord is with you, and things are infinitely better than you ever imagined. It's just circumstances has clouded your vision. And the Lord may come, He may send someone, maybe even this message today may be the moment you're touched by an angel and you're strengthened and encouraged for the journey ahead because God has not finished with you. Amen? Let's pray. Bless you, Lord. Lord, we just take these few quiet moments to reflect. <coughs> Lord, help our ears to be attuned to the small, delicate, whispering <coughs> voice. For those moments, Lord, whenever you just quietly encourage us, you don't send a brass band along the way at times, but just a quiet word. Sometimes it's just a little verse. Sometimes it's a phone call or a letter or a visit. And Lord, that's your way of touching us. So we give you thanks and we praise you. Strengthen your church today, Lord. Help us, Lord, this incoming year that we see before us. Lord, to be vitalized, energized by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we do not slacken or give up or lie down or quit, 
But Lord, we continue on the journey. Knowing, Lord, that your strength will be ours. That in times of weakness, we'll be strong because of the Lord. We bless you, Lord. Those who are going to serve the